0: cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply
1: hi and welcome to the curb podcast my name andrew pierce and this podcast is recorded in wajak noonga perth western australia sovereignty never ceded on this episode i chat with american filmmaker lola blank about her new short film pruning this creepy flick follows a Fox News-adjacent political commentator, played by Madeleine Brewer, who finds herself in a moral conflict when a mass shooter cites her as an influence for their actions. Over 15 minutes, Lola Blank forces viewers to question the morality of those who spout reactionary and inflammatory comments in the media, all the while trying to distance themselves from the violence that is inspired by their words. In this interview, recorded ahead of of Pruning's international premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival, Lola talks about creating the main character with Madeline, where her interest in exploring this fractured mindset that emerges from these kind of fringe voices comes from. And then around the halfway mark, we're heading to spoiler territory as Lola talks about some of the more fantastical and unsettling elements of Pruning. Aside from being a filmmaker, Lola is also an accomplished musician and has a successful podcast called Trust Me. If you want to find out more about her work, head over to lolablank.com. And if you want to hear more interviews and read reviews from myself and Nadine, then make sure to head over and visit thecurb.com.au for more details. For now, here is Lola Blank on her film, Pruning. Welcome. Thank you very much for um, giving me a time to have a chat about your really fascinating and rather creepy short film pruning there were more than a few little things in there that 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 creeped me out obviously the main story and then you know some body horror stuff later on which uh, we won't spoil that stuff was really uh i was eating uh lunch at the time that i was watching it and i was just a little bit like maybe i should have delayed this (laughs) a second
0: (laughs) just trying to ruin lunches honestly yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> anyway uh how did you come up with the the concept for pruning it is uh feels i guess from an australian perspective it feels like it's a, a slice of americana uh brought to life but the darkest slice of it is that really where it came from
0: absolutely i mean i you know um as just your average american watching the news from time to time and seeing the kinds of news that people who operate in different spheres of life than I do are watching, I became very fascinated with the types of personalities who were kind of, you know, saying some very extreme rhetoric and very incendiary rhetoric that I um, wondered whether they actually believed. And that sort of question of do they believe that? How do they kind of sleep at night if someone is saying that and, you know, and the most extreme consequence that could happen happened how what would that look like and so my right my co-writer jeremy Raiden and i were um Mm -hmm. that was what
1: we were looking to tackle yeah been listening to your podcast it's really great but i'm curious if the the work that you've been doing on that did that help inform how you crafted the narrative and explored the the themes of how somebody like this sleeps at night
0: absolutely i mean you know on the podcast which is called trust me it's about cold. Um, we explore more of the of real life stories of people who've, exper- who've been on the other end who've believed the extreme things And so with this I was I, I was really interested in kind of looking at at the other side of it like who are the people who are actually the ones who are perpetuating that belief and um, kind of dictating the extreme ideas that are in people's heads but I would say like the podcast is just really, um, a product of my interest in extremism overall and and how our minds can get manipulated and who the people are that are manipulating them. So it really just felt like another sort of exploration of those kinds of themes, I guess.
1: What draws you to to horror, then, in that capacity? Obviously, exploring real-life horrors in some capacity with, with people being brainwashed and things like that uh, has got its own intrigue, but horror in this capacity where it is, as we are saying, both uh, visceral and real and then also a psychological horror in pruning. What draws you to that genre and that style of filmmaking?
0: You know, I never really know how to answer that question other than um, I think I like horror so much because it makes me really feel something and that's very hard to do in a film um, and also i would say so many of my experiences in my childhood were you know there were some traumatizing moments um, as a result of the victimization of my mother and and so i think it just kind of became this this like uh outlet for some of that darkness and kind of taking the power away f- back from it and like making it into something that I get to do on my own terms, if that makes sense.
1: And how did you go about crafting the character with Madeline? Obviously, she's a very, very dark character, but I'm curious what process you had with talking with her about how to build that particular character.
0: We discussed some people to kind of look at as references, but it really, she kind of just nailed it right away. She, like, knew exactly what we were going for, Um, and like, unfortunately, so many of those types do fit so perfectly into like a mold, like they all kind of fit into the same mold. So we were going for like, okay, how do we like build a character here who really does fit that mold publicly, but at home, you can get this sort of glimpse of vulnerability, this glimpse of a conscience. What does that look like? And, um, yeah, it was really those conversations and she was very involved in, in the whole process, even from writing. Like we, we did a rewrite um, that she requested and she had lots and lots of opinions and they were all really good.
1: <laughs> I mean, she's really, really effective in the film and does a great job. Uh, there's a lot to be, she's obviously got a lot to be proud of, but as you're saying, there is that kind of look and that aesthetic of the, the, the different hosts who all have the blonde hair and the, the really well-made up look and it's, in itself is it feels a little bit like a cult it feels a little bit like this you know this just factory line of people i guess that that create these yeah. ideas um from an outsider's yeah. perspective it's very it's very haunting and, and concerning but what's it like in america seeing this kind of run of same kind of host and the same goes for the men as well you know they all kind of look the same like they've come out of a box <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, it's scary, Andrew. <laughs> I'm, you know, the scariest part to me is not that they exist. It's that there are so many people who really buy into their shit. Yeah. Um, can I say You shit? can
1: say shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, it's like, it feels a little bit, I mean, I know a lot of people were saying this when Trump first got ele- elected, but sometimes when I see people like that on television, Um, And I obviously mean the more like extreme, the more exaggerated versions, not just any commentator who disagrees with me or whatever, but I, it makes me feel like I got onto the wrong timeline. Like America somehow, like we were, we were on a trajectory and then like something happened and we're, this is like the black mirror version Mm -hmm. of the country. It feels very unsettling that there would be so many people who would just, hear these like highly oversimplified highly fear-mongering highly black and white talking points and and believe them and i i don't even i don't mean to demonize those people because i understand how it happens and it can happen to Mm. anyone in correct circumstances but it's so scary that it happens to so many
1: people what i appreciate about pruning as well is is that search for the humanity within them as well like we're all people we've all had similar experiences, but finding out that path and how they became the kind of people that they are talking and saying the things that they do. And then also not having any empathy or concern when what they say inspires genuine violence. Um, I, I found that search for that kind of humanity and trying to shake it out of them really, really fascinating. But I'm curious for you as both the director and co-writer, what does it mean to be able to explore that search for that humanity in people like this. How do you deal with that as as somebody who's directing and co-writing a, a film like Pruning?
0: What I really wanted to know was what she would really be like, what this experience would actually be like. And in order to make a film about someone who you vehemently disagree with so much, I think you have to really kind of try to get into their headspace and try to understand where they're coming from and what their motivations are and... You know, Jeremy and I had a lot of conversations about what we think is motivating her and where it comes from, and none of those things were cartoon villain things, you know what I mean? Like, it's, we all have a desire to belong and to be successful and to stand out and to have value and identity, and I think I would just be remiss in creating a character that doesn't have those dimensions. It, It wouldn't be a story that's even interesting
1: to me, really. I mean, I found that just so, like how can somebody not care <laughs> how can somebody not have any sense of anything and that, that that i think is probably in all the things that are shocking in the film that's the, the thing that is the most shocking thing that lack of empathy and it's it's something that i've always wondered is how we lose that as a nation and and this this kind of touches on that in some capacity it's it's very haunting. But I'm curious as well, there's that talk about the self, like the, I'm not responsible for this. I didn't have anything to do with that. And you paint a very clear picture that the words that are said are, you know, there is a correlation between the words and the actions of somebody else. Is that something that you've found in the research for your podcast that 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 sense of distancing oneself from their own actions and inspiring others is that a a regular thing is that a common thing that takes place
0: oh absolutely i mean i think you know what you hear is well that was just a mentally unstable person i have no control over that Um, which like to a degree is true of course but it totally evades the issue at hand it totally evades responsibility and deflects the blame you know we are as humans capable of great self-deception i think i would i would i would guess obviously i'm not in their brains but i would (laughs) guess that people of this ilk are deceiving even themselves and like telling themselves that it's not their fault and telling themselves that they had no control and no power over it and maybe that's true maybe it isn't but ultimately like the right thing to do is to be open about it, to apologize, to retract it, to take it back, to at least consider what role you may have played. Um, and that, that is the part where I, where I'm like, I can't, I can't, I, the empathy's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and I mean, that, the the final moments in the, the set and things like that, the TV studio, I just found that, it's really quite brilliantly presented and so very, it feels like you crept into the studio at nighttime, like the actual studio and, and had filmed it there. What was it like shooting in a, a studio like that, that feels so evocative of the shows that you're, you're imitating, I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah.
0: Um. I mean, I was just excited that I, <laughs> because we, we did not have the budget for, uh, the sets originally and we were able to, um, you know, the people who own the studio were like really supportive of the project and were able to kind of help us out a little bit. So mostly I was just excited that it was gonna look authentic because it just wouldn't land if it didn't. Um, but yeah, once we're there, once we're actually shooting, it's just, it is a little weird. It's like, oh, so this, so this is what it's like, that guy and her and they're saying the things and it looks like the place, <laughs> you know? But, yeah, the performances really kind of drove everything home that day and and made it feel real.
1: I do want to touch on the the spoiler part of it in some capacity because I want to talk about the, you know, the part that's there. So I'll give people a bit of a a distance so that they can, you know, go into this without uh, approaching the spoilers and all this kind of stuff. But I want to talk about the little creature that (laughs) she brings up and the creation of that because it is such a disturbing Uh, little human fetusoid creature thing that looks like her can you talk about the the decisions behind creating that and the creative choices that went into the look of it as well
0: yeah so it evolved quite a bit um originally what we were talking about was having it be like a version of herself that's more like accurately her and that we ran into the issue of like, that's going to feel a little bit like Barbie. It's not going to like, that's you know, I don't know that that's going to have the impact that it's going to, that we need. So that sort of evolved into a conversation about like, what is the part of herself that she would need to die in order to get the thing that she wants? Um, and that is the part of herself that cares. That is the part of herself that still has some innocence, some empathy, still has a conscience so I think there are a couple of different ways to look at it and and everyone's sort of had different in- interpretations which I love. but I basically think of it as her conscience that like she she needs to destroy it in order to you know fulfill her ambitions
1: that's that's what I felt as well, and then you feel so that crunching sound is just <laughs> that's where I was like. Ah. <laughs> lunch gone (laughs) but it was that 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 moment is just it's horrifying but i can i just felt like i i could see so many of the you know not just the the tv host but so many people who push this kind of rhetoric out in the world having those kinds of moments well there it's obviously Mm -hmm. they're not vomiting up a little person but having those moments with themselves (laughs) and just crunching away that conscience it's it's a really really horrifying realization of it and it's brilliantly presented um the practical effects on it are just so good as well just disturbing
0: shout out to greg aranowitz who was the creature designer who's absolutely incredible i i yeah i was so happy he came on board
1: what what did you do with the little thing i imagine you have probably got it as like a you know souvenir from the film or something like that is that right <laughs>
0: I wish. I wish. I mean, Greg really helped us out on the film, and so he kept it for his archive. I think he's eventually going to do a, um, like, a display of all the work he's done. He's done, he's worked on so many projects, Spielberg projects, so many incredible films. But I hope to one day have have it in a little case in my apartment. I already have a gizmo and I already have like little goblins from Norway, so it would just fit perfectly. Yeah,
1: well, exactly. I think, you know, part of me is a little bit like it needs to have a little coat put on it and just, you know, give it a nice life after what it's endured. And yeah, that kind of thing. (laughs) Something pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. So obviously we're working in a short film format here. I imagine there's a, a intention to do a feature film in the, the future, but what I really appreciated, appreciated about the use of the short film format here is that it's it's a concise experience. I, I, I can imagine seeing this as a feature-length film and it would be even more torturous, but I got that full experience of everything in such a concise manner here. What, what draws you to the short film format for this time being?
0: For this version of the story, just the initial story that I wanted to tell, it felt like there was one question and one answer, and it was something that we could do very concisely. Um, I think there is a version of the story that is much more in-depth and explores how she how she got there, how she got to the point where her ambition is more important than, than <laughs> her morals. Yeah, it just felt like there's something I want to say here. And I have made several short films before. I know how to say this succinctly. Unfortunately, it's a very timely subject. So it's something I knew that I wanted to, to get out into the world.
1: And of course, it's heading out into film festivals and things like that. What's the experience been like screening it for people and, and having, I assume, audience reactions as well? What's that, that feeling been like?
0: Well, so we've only had one screening so far at Palm Springs, Fantasia's next week, and then Holly Shorts and then some others. But the first screening, I was I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I'd never watched it with anyone other than the people who worked on Post with me. Initially, when the film started playing, you know, Palm Springs is a bit of an older audience um, in, in a town in America where... There are some, you know, there's a very uh, progressive community, but there are, are also some conservative people there. Um, there were some groans <laughs> when when her monologue first begins, and I was like, ah! But then ultimately, like, uh, people reacted, I mean, I heard reactions to some of the more, some of the horror moments, which I was really excited about. And then what I appreciated the most was that afterward, and then the next day for the rest of the festival, I did have people coming up to me saying they thought it was really effective and that they like it really hit them. And I that that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. So I was very very happy about that because I know not I know not everyone is going to take it the right way. You know I know it's not everyone is going to enjoy it or appreciate it because um, it's a direct assault maybe on things that they enjoy or watch or people that they like. But it's really just meant to 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 ask some questions not attack but to ask questions and, and hopefully we hopefully I achieve that Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.